Welcome to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman, the podcast dedicated to helping you build the business of your dreams and live the life you always hoped for, with valuable and fun tips and info to make your life easier and more fun. And now, here's your host, a man who sprinkles metal shavings on his breakfast cereal just for fun, Jason Silverman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. I'm your host, Jason Silverman, and I'm thrilled to share some time with you today. I have to tell you, this is absolutely my favorite time of year. You know, the leaves have already fallen, there's a nip in the air here in New Jersey, and we're almost ready to celebrate Thanksgiving. And in uh, Casa Silverman, it's a feast. Uh, my amazing business partner and wife, Dr. Robin Silverman, also happens to be a gourmet cook, and uh, my family takes full and complete advantage of this. Actually, uh, this morning, my almost five-year-old daughter, Tally, asked me, when, uh, when's mommy going to start getting the turkey ready and all the other goodies? Uh, this girl is jumping out of her skin. And uh, my son, Noah, who's, gosh, three and a half, he's just as pumped. On the way to school this morning, he told me that he was going to eat the whole turkey all by himself. I told him, eh, it's good to have a goal. So speaking of having a goal, I'm basically jumping out of my skin about today's show. When I owned my martial arts academy, EMA Fitness and Martial Arts in Weymouth, Mass., there was one individual who had a remarkable effect upon my business growth, as well as on my professional development. In the early days of my business, when we weren't growing the way that I thought we should be and that we really deserved to be, I started searching for somebody who'd already done what I wanted to do. And uh, for those paying attention, that's already your first lesson for today, people. Don't recreate that wheel. Find somebody who has shoulders you can stand on and, and jump up there. In any case, my search led me to a guy named Greg Silva, who'd already built ridiculously successful schools of his own and was currently helping many others to do the same. I picked up the phone, I called him, and I started down a path that absolutely changed my life. Much of what he told me to implement was initially uncomfortable to me. Uh, really, really uncomfortable, actually. However, I sucked it up, I made the changes, and I quickly realized the success I wanted for my school was possible after I'd done the work. So, uh, now for the folks that I work with in any of my coaching programs, my mastermind groups, or through Powerful Words Character Development, All-Star Cheer Sites, or Dance Sites Done Right, you know how much I focus on developing powerful business systems that work. Now, a little inside baseball, much of my passion for building these systems was honed by the gentleman who's going to be joining us really shortly. So, today it's going to be my honor and privilege to share this resource with you. You're going to love today's guest. He's a treasure trove of super valuable information, and I know that when you implement at least one nugget of info that he shares with you, you're going to benefit immensely, much the same way that I did. As I'm sure you already know, I'm committed to helping business owners to become more successful, enjoy their careers more, and in general, make life significantly more fun. All right, boys and girls, it's now that time. Stop surfing Facebook, put away your phone, your tablet anything else that could possibly distract you from today's show. You're about to get some great and immediately implementable information. That's my guarantee. So before we get going, a little bit of background about our guest today, Greg Silva. Greg started his martial arts training back in 1964. He graduated from University of Connecticut in 1973, and he opened his school that same year. In the 1980s, the school expanded to 1,500 students in five locations. Now, for those of you not in the martial arts world, it's a really big deal. Okay? It's still a big deal, and, and that was even back then. 
He met Ed Parker and Nick Kokinos at the same time, and he combined his martial arts skill with new business skills and set out to see what really could be done. Greg ended up in Florida with 1,200 students in the early 1990s, and at that time, most schools were with a, uh, a company called the Educational Funding Company, which was a billing service for the martial arts industry. Of all of those schools, his schools rank number one, not surprisingly. The school is truly a professional martial arts school dedicated to teaching life skills to children through martial arts something very near and dear to my heart. Um, in the early 1990s, a career shift took him into more of the business side of martial arts, and he opened a firm called United Professionals. UP, or United Professionals, is now a coaching and consulting company with clients worldwide. In addition to the martial arts, he loves to travel with his wife, Jeannie, who I must say is a phenomenal human being and just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lady. Um, they, they, they live in both Arizona and Florida, uh, in the industry, his addiction to cars is very well known. Loves to drive British automobiles. At age 62. Hey, thanks very much, sir. That was an, an awesome beginning. I'm almost afraid to say anything and ruin it for everyone. <laughs> Uh, what, what's my passion? What makes me tick? It's kind of neat because everyone's talking about balancing your life and how your personal life has to be balanced with your uh, spiritual life, which has to be balanced with your fitness life, which has to be balanced with your uh, your business life and your personal life. I'm fortunate enough to be in an industry where I have a, a hard time distinguishing the lines. Um I love to work as much as I, I, I love to work out. I love to help people. I love to travel to, to meet school owners. So I, I think I'm just really fortunate to, to be in an industry where I'm able to do that. Because a lot of people talk about balancing your life and say, well, you know, you work quite a few hours. I go, well, I'm not sure if I know where it's, it's work, it's relaxation, or it's just fun helping other people. So I, I kind of think that my passion is just uh, um, working, helping other people. I do like to travel, like you say. Um, uh, Jeannie and I have kind of made a thing where we're going to be traveling someplace new every single year. Last year we had we had a great cruise. We started in Italy, went to Greece and Turkey, and it was just a fantastic trip. Uh, this year we have uh, Thailand planned in uh, February, but, but that again, it's, it's kind of funny because that, that, that's our trip this year. But at the same time, a friend of mine had just opened a hotel down in Thailand, and he's training in Muay Thai, so. Some of our clients will be joining us uh, on the trip to, to do some training and go to some fights and just enjoy uh, uh, some of the outskirts of Thailand. Wow, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be really good. Wow. Okay. Well, it's this is going to be educational for uh, for so many reasons and on so many levels. So, folks, strap yourself in. Let's uh, Let's dive in. One of the things that I've noticed, and I think this happens in many industries, but it seems like there are almost as many martial arts consulting companies as there are school owners right now. Um, and that being the case, with all the knowledge out there, why do you feel like all school owners, why, why aren't they all living the dream? I think that's a really good question. And I know you do uh, 
consulting with other people that are in uh, industries where they're actually just sharing information. And when you start thinking about the success it really takes for martial arts school, it's probably the one of the least expensive businesses to get into because there's really no inventory. The inventory is in your head. Uh, getting started with a, an empty building is uh, pretty inexpensive too. Um, and some of the other businesses like dance schools and things like that, it's actually just teaching people. So again, it's, it's not really rocket science. And a lot of people are very fortunate to uh, just do really well by having it a, um, an inexpensive business to run and actually turn a profit into. And with their personalities and just their techniques and their location, they tend to be very successful. So I think our industry has quite a few people that are successful in the industry. And so, of course, they want to share their systems with everyone else. And so we all of a sudden we have consultants, you know, all over our industry, which in, as I look in different magazines, there's quite a few consultants and a lot of things besides martial arts. But I think one of the reasons some people don't live their dream is they get caught up in that going from one dot to another dot. In other words, to where you are to really where you think you really want to be is not just following dot after dot. Um, because they think it's the systems or the way I have to train someone or just a uh, payroll or I just have to change my curriculum. And they think it's just drop, uh, jumping from one dot to another like lily pads would be in a pond. And I think this is the challenge. I see the connecting the dots, but I don't see the dots on a level playing field. Uh, I live in Arizona. It's kind of neat because I live in a valley. In both sides of the valley, I mean, there's huge mountain ranges. And I go hiking, and I start to think about, man, this is a tough hike. And so I can't imagine people coming in the late 1800s, early 1900s, going from the east coast to west coast, traveling over mountain ranges, then landing in Phoenix, walking to the other side and seeing another range of mountain ranges. <laughs> and I started thinking to myself, I go, that's why Phoenix got settled. I mean, people just, you know, they made all this trip, they went over all these challenges, they came to a nice place, they go, man, for me to go any farther, I've got to go over another mountain range so that that obstacle stops them. And I always give my wife, keep with my wife, and that's how uh, Phoenix got uh, settled. And I start thinking, why do people in certain businesses, martial arts or any other business, get so far and then just stop? Because I think when they start connecting those dots, those dots aren't like lily pads on a pond, but they are like mountain ranges. And sometimes you make it over one mountain range, you say, well, I made some big changes, I'm doing much better now, but... And that next step is just too much for you. So people fall into that plateau. And um, so even though there's a lot of consultants out there, I think we get confused on doing the specifics, doing the systems, but it's not all the systems. Because uh, the systems are important. And, uh, you know, people say there's a recipe for success or you just have to model someone. Or the only thing you really have to do is duplicate the systems and you'll find enough personal and financial freedom. But there's a lot of things that stop people from going from one dot to the next dot. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's interesting you brought that up about the systems um, because obviously I'm, I'm a bigger, big proponent of you know everybody running their business uh, and really running their systems as opposed to just trying to run the business. Um, obviously, everybody should know their systems; they should have them built. Um, but if we all know that, you know, shouldn't Shouldn't all the schools out there, you know, we all read the same magazines. We all read, you know, probably the same books. Why, why isn't everybody busting at the seams? 
Well, I, I think, uh, again, if you start thinking about those mountain ranges, what are those mountain ranges in martial arts? Okay, I know the systems, and I know I'm supposed to keep stats, or, you know, if you're talking about dance or you're talking about cheerleading or something else, I know I'm supposed to be teaching personal development, but I really don't understand how to do that. And to be able to do that, I'm going to have to change what I'm doing. Because right now I think it's all about teaching the right steps to someone. And it's not really about that, but it's really about the personal development. But I don't really know how to teach that. And I don't know if I'm really willing to change. So it's knowing the systems is one thing. Being able to change your strategies of teaching could be something else. It could be the will to win. Um, I was reading an article about Tiger Woods. And Tiger Woods, as a, as a real young boy, was good at golf. And so because he was good at golf, he just had this capitalization on learning. He just capitalized on what he did good. He found it enjoyable, and he took one step to another and became a uh, a great golfer. And we say in martial arts, everyone has the will to win. Well, you have a will to win maybe in martial arts, but when it comes to business, do you have the same will to win? I know I have a will to win in business and martial arts. However, if you said, hey, Greg, we're going to take up snowboarding and you're going to compete next year, I don't know if I would have that same will to win because I don't really have any references to fall back on being any type of a good snowboarder. So again, I think these challenges that come in aren't really the systems, but the implementation of the systems. When does all of a sudden you need to know or need to change, all of a sudden it's stopped by maybe a lack of self-discipline. You know, I, I know I'm supposed to be at my school or my facility, my daycare from 9 in the morning till uh, 7 at night or 8 at night. I know I'm supposed to be doing marketing, but, you know, I value some other things, and I don't know if I really have the self-discipline. And that may seem, well, well you should have the self-discipline because you want to do it. Well, a lot of people want to lose weight, but they don't have the self-discipline to lose weight. A lot of people know they should be in shape, but they don't have the self-discipline to be in shape. And same thing comes with the systems. I know I'm supposed to do these systems. I know I'm supposed to do my marketing. I know I'm supposed to be able to do my sales. I know I'm supposed to do my retention. But am I the type of person that has the self-discipline to implement all those systems? Mm. It could be limiting beliefs. You know, I start thinking about uh, some school owners. And they say, well, things are really good because people want small classes and they want individual attention. And I, it was funny because I was just reading a book, David and Goliath, uh, this past uh, a week or two. He talks about limiting beliefs, and especially with classes, and how small classes aren't always the best for people. And again, that could be in any one of the industries that you help people with. They say, well, individual attention's the way to go, and I want four or five people in my class. But a class so small really doesn't give people a social group. So if I'm not a really fast learner, I may not have someone in class I can identify with. Or if I'm a really good student and I pick up fast, there may not be other people that can be competitive who are going to push me to a, a, a higher level. So again, these living beliefs... Okay, so it's these personal uh, challenges that come in. It's not really the systems per se. Understood. 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 Well, let, let, let's talk about that the, the limiting beliefs issue for a second um, and get a little bit deeper into this because I think it's really, really important. Um, what would you say you've seen, you know, over the decades that you've actually been in this in this world, um, in this martial arts world? What would you say are the probably 
two or three of the top limiting beliefs that you've actually seen have held school owners back? Uh, that's a good question because I think some of their limiting to beliefs are also excuses. <laughs> you know, it, it's true because I know some people go, well, a martial arts school owner shouldn't make money because I, I'm an artist and the artist should be starving. So maybe that could be a limiting belief. But I also think it's an excuse that they use when all of a sudden they come to a, a challenge and they do level off and they say, well, you know, they're not making the money. So instead of uh, kind of falling into that, they, they use the, that excuse. Uh, well, limiting beliefs, it, it, another thing is, um, again, big classes. A lot of people think that when you're going to have big classes or service more people, the quality of your school goes down, and that's just uh, absolutely not true. Uh, some of the limiting beliefs are that I'm a one-school uh, uh, operation, or I have a very small staff. Because of my uh, limited resources and my staff, I'm not going to be able to make it. When we start looking at the real successful schools, they all started off as uh, one-person shows. Hmm. So I, I think that that's another uh, limiting belief or excuse that people happen to use. You know, it, it's it's so funny that you bring this up because I remember a long, long time ago um, having a, a school that was trotting along, barely, uh, limping, I should say, um, and all those same beliefs um, – you know, I guess when you if, if you hang around with folks who are unsuccessful, um, these same limiting beliefs are are what you talk about. Well, you know, it's it's not about the money for me. Um, I'm really just all about the art. Um, I've heard that and probably said it originally. Um, which, you know, and and one one thing you just pointed out as far as big big classes or you know large amounts of clients versus small amounts of clients. Um, you know, and I remember you telling me directly that you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. A large class has better energy. A large class, you get to do more. And you're actually going to wind up teaching better and more exciting classes with that. And, and I thought that, you know, that sounded like a whole lot of, you know, stuff. Um, and actually, when my class size exploded and really grew, I was like, wow, he was right. He was spot on. Um, and I never wanted to teach a small class ever again after that. Yeah, I agree. It's just not like the fun and the energy, but like I explained, it's just the other people that to relate in a class like that. Again, if you have a, a big group of people, and I, I think there's a there's a point where it does get too big. Uh, like I said, if I'm in a, a medium-sized class, I'm going to say 24, 25 students, there's enough people that are really excelling to keep me motivated. Uh, and if I'm a slow learner, there's also a few people that I can relate to and that are in my support group. When the class gets way too big, then all of a sudden people lose that special feeling. Hmm. So I, I think it's in um, Gadwell's book in David and Goliath, he talks about it's kind of an inverted bell. And so when it's really small, you're not really uh, uh, getting the excitement. All of a sudden you get to like 25, 30 people and things are really going good. You've got a good support group. It's very exciting. The kids are learning a lot. And then when it gets real big, all of a sudden the effectiveness starts dropping down. I think that was one of the big things in my school in Coral Springs. Yeah, and people laugh at this, but they didn't realize when you have over a thousand students, how many people come a day? <laughs> no, so if you have if you have five hundred a day and you have five classes, each time that you change classes, there's a hundred people in the building. But I didn't have a hundred people in one class, I had five instructors. The five instructors had twenty each. 
So we still had good sized classes. Warming up was, I mean, amazing. The walls are just shaking. When it came down to learning, I had five really good instructors teaching some good classes, but they weren't overly packed. It was still within that 20 to 25 student range. But there, you know, those large classes, though, bring with them that inherent social proof. Um, nobody wants to eat at the restaurant where there are no cars in the parking lot. Absolutely. Right? I mean, all, all the schools in my in my town, you know, when they were talking, when they're busy talking behind my back about how, oh, that that's the big school and you're, you're not going to get any personalized service there. And I'm thinking, who wants to go to a place where, where nobody else is training there? Yeah, oh, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, I'm like that. Just like you said, especially when you go to a restaurant, you pull up to a restaurant, no one's in the parking lot. You don't want to go in because you figure everyone knows something you don't know. <laughs> am I gonna, am I gonna die if I eat here? So. You know, also your students do get better because when you get to a certain level, some students want to go out and compete. When they get on a tournament circuit, all of a sudden they see kids that are really, really good. It pushes them to be better. Well, when you have a big school, you naturally have more good students because, you know, some people come in just naturally talented. And when there's more people that are doing good, more people feel that they can do good. So, again, that's social proofing. So the students actually get better because there's more people on a, on a higher level that they want to strive for. That becomes the norm. And then instead of having just a couple of good students, you start getting more and more good students because, you know, that's the level people expect to rise to. So imagine that, large school, large business, more high-quality clients. Yeah. And kind of getting back uh, to other belief, I just kind of want to hit on one more time, you know, being the one-man show, because everyone starts off small. If you're in a dance studio, if you're in a martial arts studio, cheerleading, people do start off small. And uh, some people kind of think, well, you know, he had that school of 1,200 students, good for him. He had a lot of staff. When I moved to Florida, it, it was just me. And I remember teaching one day, and a friend of mine who had a big school in New York, Don Southerton, uh, walked in. And I'm on my knees teaching two little kids. At the same time, I had a painter doing some painting on my walls. He was putting up the uh, uh, the benefits. I had clouds on the walls with the benefits. He was painting that. And Don comes in, he's just kind of laughing because here I am, no receptionist, teaching two kids myself. And we talked for a little while, and he left. And the painter, I was teaching a couple kids, and I was teaching the life skills. And he comes over to me and goes, you're really good at what you do. He says, you keep teaching classes like that and you'll never have to worry about the money. Hmm. And I started thinking about that. I mean, it, it just kind of, I still remember that day because here I was, I probably had less than 10 students in the school. I was teaching two at a time and someone outside the martial arts could see what I was doing. And uh, every, everything came, it came fast. And with that, that school didn't take a long time to grow. We were growing at about 400 people per year. Wow. 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 Well, you know, that's actually a perfect segue because you just mentioned the, the life skills and obviously that's something that's real near, dear, near and dear to my heart as the CEO of Powerful Words Character Development. What, you know, obviously what's been your experience and also how do you see it going forward that, you know, teaching benefits and life skills um, positively or negatively in, in your case, you know, what do you see? How do you see that impacting a school owner's success? Okay, um, I think it's more important than ever. And let me just kind of back up just a little, because I'm going to talk about when I opened my school in the 70s. In the 70s, obviously, we didn't have half the problems with children um, that parents face right now. 
And when I used to teach classes, I really liked to teach with analogies. And I had an instructor who kind of taught me like that. He was really into basketball. And every time he tried to explain something, he would use an analogy for basketball. Well, I used to use analogies for school to help teach martial arts. It's kind of just the reverse of what we're doing now. So kids were uh, back in the 70s were just a little more structured. We didn't have video games to, uh, you know, they actually played outside and uh, uh, talked to each other. <laughs> and, you know, you, you didn't have the problem. So also I'm teaching classes. If I want the kids to behave or focus, I would go, hey, guys, listen up. When you're in school, what are you doing? Aren't you looking at the teacher and focusing? So I was doing just the opposite of what we do now in the martial arts schools. I was using behavior that they had in school to show how they should have behavior in martial arts. When I would talk about respect, you have to respect your martial arts teacher. Hey, that's just like in school, you, you have respect for your teachers and your line of quiet when you sit at your desk. The same type of behavior happens to be here at the martial arts school. So I was using analogies of great behavior, but that came from home or that came from school, and I was showing it how it could be used in the martial arts school. Well, things have switched 180. Now, when kids come to martial arts school, parents are looking for the behavior and the character development, which we do excellent. And so what I was doing then, now we're just reversing. So we're saying well, the same respect you show for your martial arts school Teacher, your sensei, that's the same type of respect you should be doing for your school teacher, for your school teachers. The same type of patience you're learning when doing your form when things come difficult and you don't give up. That's the same type of patience you need when you go to school and all of a sudden you have a spelling problem. Uh, do you give up right away? No. Well, you could give up, but then all of a sudden you're not going to get the A's and B's that you really want because we always want to be our best. We have to have our black belt excellence, not only in our martial arts school, But that black belt excellence becomes a lifestyle that we want in our academic school. And that's why A's and B's are so important for us. So you have to have that patience and perseverance. So things that I did to help teach martial arts students back in the 70s, now we use martial arts to enhance their school life. So it's almost switched around. <laughs> it was kind of neat because I just did it naturally because, you know, I'm trying to think of different analogies to help the kids uh, learn better in martial arts schools. And I remember back in the 80s, I had an instructor, uh, Paul Garcia, who's up in Massachusetts, you know very well. Yes. And he goes, you know, it's really neat. So every time you teach martial arts, you're teaching some type of benefit. I mean, you don't just teach a kick, you teach focus. You don't just teach a, teach a punch, but you're teaching a, a perseverance. He says, that's really neat. And that's when we start really um, enhancing how we teach the benefits. And then again, you, uh, you and... Uh, Uh, your partner have really, really gone above and beyond uh, even what, what I was doing back then. But but the whole idea is to use those analogies. And again, when I was back then teaching kids how to behave in martial arts school, now we're using all the great skills that we automatically learn in martial arts to teach kids to be better at life. Wow. And, uh, you know, I start talking about, you know, really your martial arts and your leadership skills have to be just something that you talk about all the time in your martial arts school. It's not, not a technique you do to get more students. It's not a technique you do just to improve retention, but it's a, a lifestyle you do and you just explain the importance to the parents. I mean, as a parent, I mean, I'm sure everyone wants their child to be a leader. No one wants to see them fall prey to unhealthy peer pressure. So you have to constantly talk to the kids and talk to the parents about your vision.
you know, your vision is really to make sure these kids don't get in trouble later on. That, you know, even if they are a follower, they have the power to say no to unhealthy peer pressure. So the, the life skills is part of the program. Uh, martial arts schools have been famous for it, and now it's uh, uh, overflowing into other industries. But, um, you know, martial arts schools just being uh, the tenets of the martial arts made it easy to teach those, uh, those benefits at home. It was definitely logical, and it, it did make sense. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, even with, you know, the advent of MMA and the UFC and all that stuff out there, so you still feel that there is a, an, an appropriate place um, for those in, in today's world? I, I'm really sorry. I've got a big dog at home, and she just barked at my uh, door. <laughs> it's okay. i got a dog sleeping under my feet who's got his, his, head, his head is up and his ears are, are looking for this dog. Well, that, see, now everyone knows it, it's the real deal, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we roll. <laughs> That's another passion I have is dogs. I have five of them at home, so. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize, sir. No, it's all, it's all good. What My question was, um, with, um, you know, with the advent of the UFC, with MMA really being out there, in your experience, you still believe that, you know, the life skills are still that important um, to parents as well as to instructors? Uh, without a doubt. Um, MMA and things like that, it, it's, just, it's, it's a great sport. People really love to watch it. I don't know how many people really join because they want to be that person in the ring. But at the same time, parents just know the value of martial arts and they know the importance of life skills. Um when parents come to school, 90% of them come because their child's broken and they're looking for someone to fix their child. When I say broken, for some reason they lost self-confidence, self-esteem, and they need help with that child. Um, we're in Boca Raton. We have a Florida, uh, school in Florida. Um, a lot of people are really busy in that town, a lot of successful people, and they just don't have time that they need to spend and really bring out the leadership qualities in their children, but they want that for their children. Mm. So even with these other sports like UFC and uh, things like that, I think that the values that people are really looking for are still the uh, the life skills for the children. Uh, fighting and martial arts is secondary. I love it. I love it. So here's a, this is a minor shift of gears, but um, one of the things that I've heard you speak on many, many times, um, is fear. Um, one of the things I always speak about is, you know, fear simply stands for, you know, false evidence appearing real. Um, but what have, you know, I guess, let me turn the tables on you. What have you been afraid of in your business career? I, I've, uh, overcome a lot of fears and I, I think this is a really good point uh, to get across because again, we're talking about climbing over those mountains or, uh, uh, different challenges. There has to be a reason that you can have to change. I was uh, bowling with my kids uh, a few weeks ago, and when I go bowling, I bowl by the dots. So in other words, uh, mm -hmm. there's a series of dots on the bowling alley. And so I always pick the dots closest. I know if I hit the ball just to the right of the third dot, then I'm probably going to get a strike. If I'm bowling and I'm hitting that same spot and I'm not getting strikes, I know immediately I have to change. And so... Uh, I think that the fear of change is paramount with most martial arts school owners. And there's a lot of things that I had to overcome 
and that were, were fear and was holding me back. One was public speaking. I remember one time I was asked, asked to speak in front of a group in Fort Lauderdale. And I'm sitting outside the room. The room's full of people. And I was going to be on next in about 10 minutes. My palms are sweating. And my heart is pounding. I go, man, I just can't do this. I can't get up in front of a bunch of people and speak. And then Ernie Ray's senior walked by. And on his T-shirt, I had on the back, if you can't, you must. If you must, you will. And I looked at that. I go, okay, get over this. You know, just you have to be able to do this. You have to make this change in your life if you want to get to the point where you want to go. And so I said, okay, I'm just going to do it. And I just got in there and spoke. And actually, a couple people enjoyed it. And I uh, overcame that fear. It was really neat, though, because I flew to that uh, conference. And I hated flying at the time. I was totally afraid of flying. So when I got home, I said to myself, well, I overcame the fear of speaking by speaking. Or I didn't really overcome, but I started to overcome it. Let me take flying lessons. If I know how a plane flies, I'll be able to overcome that fear. It was really funny because the first day I went flying, and it was a really windy day. My head was bouncing off the top of this Cessna 150. And uh, I said, this is the craziest thing I ever did. However, I kept going until I could uh, solo flight and uh, uh, get a flying license. So I think a lot of things were stopping me. And then I said, okay, I just got to do what I fear most. And then I just always ask my question uh, to myself, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> Uh, so if all of a sudden I had a fear, if I'm going to market, if I'm going to hire this employee, what's the things that could be a benefit from this? And what's the worst that could happen? And I think that one question really helped me uh, overcome a lot of fears in my life. I love it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an accurate and important question because um, odds are, you know, as long as you know what really is the worst thing that could happen and you're okay with it, then so be it. Yep. That's, exactly. That's perfect. All right, this time it is time for our resource of the week. And now here's your real deal resource of the week. So where where can folks learn more about you, uh, more about any of the firms, any of the services that you offer to the industries? Okay, our, our website is unitedprofessionals.com. And uh, the services we offer are consulting and mentoring for martial arts businesses. Uh, in addition to that, we, we have different levels. Uh, we also have a uh, video series that I do weekly that are just teaching tips. And the whole idea is it's not just for master instructors. It could be for would-be instructors or someone who's looking just to, to make a career shift. I put together a five to ten minute video. And I put it out every single week. And so a lot of people use this as their training tips for the week. Some people use it for staff development. Again, some people just use them for personal development because they want to be that type of person who's to be a good instructor. So in case they're master instructors that are looking for, to hire someone, they're ready to step in that position. God, where, where, where can they find that video series? Um, actually, if... Anyone wants to get that, I would love to offer your clients uh, a series of them. Great. Uh, so if uh, anyone does want it and they write to you, and I can send you the link. Okay. I'll send you the link uh, to uh, so I can get their information to send them the videos. Marvelous. And I'll also send you a manual that I wrote quite a few years ago on uh, teaching. It talks about the teaching triad. And the teaching triad is actually getting the, the life skills 
combined with the martial arts skills, combined with the qualities of a champion. So as the people are learning the forms of self-defense, they're learning the power and the speed, at the same time the life skills that go along with it. And I've, I wrote a great manual, so uh, I'll make that available to you and you can send it out to all your clients. Spectacular. I will, uh, I will have that up on the show notes um, to this to this podcast, folks. So you'll have um, opportunity to um, connect with me on that, and after you, I think you'll just uh, put a name and email address in, and we'll just we'll send that to you. So you've got uh, you've got all that information. All right, I have one more really important question for you. If you could give business owners just one solid piece of advice that would either help their business, or you know, possibly more importantly, help them to live a better, more balanced life, what would that piece of advice be? Um, it's probably one real obvious one is, is to read. Hmm. Um, I think just really keep keep your mind open. I know when I read, I don't just read a story, but I read, and my mind just relates on how whatever I'm reading relates to either my life or to business. And I think that's why it takes me so long to get through books because I really contemplate on what I read. So I think that's number one. Next thing I think is it's hard for a lot of people to do is take some quiet time for reflection. I know one of the things that I really like to do is to walk in the morning. I usually take my dogs to walk at the same time, but it really gives me time for doing nothing except looking around you know, to, to concentrate what I have planned for the day, you know, what, what's uh, going to be coming up next in my life. Um, number three is to stay healthy. Uh, that, that seems like really obvious, but a lot of times we get busy, just really busy, and we start forgetting about our health. I went through a health scare about five or six years ago, and, I, and it was a good thing. Right now at 62, I've probably been part of the healthiest I have been in a long, long time. I really watch what I eat. I really watch how I exercise. Um, I make sure I really take care of myself and monitor my health. So I think constantly feeding your mind, taking time for reflection, and really having quiet time you can zone out is really important. And not really zoning out, but uh, putting away, like when you talked today about putting away your tablets and your Facebook and things like that. Walking, you can't do all those things. Uh, hiking, you can't do all those things. And again, balance it with health. You know, everyone I talk to that's really successful in the martial arts, one of the things they do is they still train. In other words, when their business starts really going, they don't let, let aside uh, what got them into uh, martial arts in the first place. That was the love of training. I talked to Paul Garcia. Every morning he's training. Craig Haley down in Florida, every morning he's training. Uh, my partner, Bill Storm, is always training, to, uh, trains in jiu-jitsu. Doug Bertrand with a thousand students out in Washington, always training, always working out. So staying healthy and having that, that, that passion that, that keeps you alive are uh, the important things, I think, that are going to make you better in business and happier in life. I love it. I love it. These, 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 those three alone. Actually, it's really four with it with the keep training. Those, those four alone are do that and 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 don't worry about all the other garbage. And you're halfway there anyway. So that's that's brilliant. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Silver, for joining us today. And obviously, I know how crazy your schedule is, and you know it means the world to me that you take the time to uh, to share some of that time with us. So oh, great. My pleasure, sir. Uh, we've known each other for a long time and really enjoyed our relationship ever since we uh, started when you had your school up in Massachusetts. So oh. it's, uh, 
It's great to be a part of your show. Really, thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Great, great tips as always. And as always, it was a great time to catch up with you. So, well, that's all the time we've got today, folks. Thank you so much for tuning into The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. For more information about private coaching or to see if you'd benefit from one of my mastermind groups, visit me at jasonmsilverman.com or email me at jason at jasonmsilverman.com. I look forward to helping you achieve the success that you truly deserve. Until next time, let me leave you with this. Get out there and be the real deal. When you take knowledge and you apply massive action with a plan, you're well on your way to success. Now's the time. Get out there and make it happen. Go get them, folks. This has been Jason Silverman, and I hope you have a spectacular week. Take care. You've been listening to The Real Deal with Jason Silverman. To access the great resources mentioned in the show and for information on coaching and mastermind group opportunities with Jason, please visit jasonmsilverman.com.